Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Good morning. We welcome you to Graceland Church. What a joy and honor to worship with you. Many of us had kids start school this past week. Any kids in the house have their first day? Yes. <laughs> um, some excitement there, some dread. It's all going on at the same time. I'm so excited about what God is doing in our Graceland Youth and Kids Ministries. I just want you to be aware of this. Every Sunday we have uh, the baby, the infant classroom over there in the kids wing, and then another classroom with our preschool students, and then another classroom upstairs with our elementary students in both of our services, 9 and 10.30. And it's, it's not babysitting, it's not childcare, it's ministry. It's teaching these young people, uh, from, we, we always say from cradle to the grave. So it's teaching these young people about the way and words of Jesus so that they will know him. It's amazing. And our Graceland youth, which is 6th to 12th grade, I just want to reiterate, no youth tonight, but next Sunday I want to encourage every parent of every youth and the youth as well to come 5 to 7 p.m. next Sunday right here in this room. We'll do a pizza party and vision night and then the big back-to-school bash uh, right after that. All of those are 5 to 7 p.m. Uh, on Sunday evenings. I've actually got this school year a high schooler, a middle schooler, an elementary schooler, and a preschooler all in one year. And uh, we have three of those kids of our four on three different sports teams. So for instance, we have three practices tomorrow night. How are we going to do it? I'm not sure. We kind of have that philosophy, my wife and I, of like, you know, what, what is it? Shoot the arrow and then aim or whatever it is. You know, jump off the cliff before you know what you're jumping into. How are we going to do sports this year? I have no idea, but we're committed to it. And here we go. And, and life can be busy when you're living like this. And now here's something, you, you might not have kids, you might not be married, you might be an empty nester, you might be grandparents. I don't know what your life and schedule looks like, but I know for all of us that sometimes life can be very exhausting. Anybody with me? How do we balance family, marriage, kids, work, church, school, friendship, sports, hobbies, extended family, expectations, and on and on the list goes. Jess and I had a two-week vacation that we got back from about a week and a half ago. And uh, I say vac vacation. We were visiting family. We did do some beach time. People always inevitably ask, hey, I hope you came back from vacation so incredibly rested and are just ready to go for it. And you laugh because you know that when you vacation with a bunch of little kids, like you might be laying on the beach, but I mean, I'm not just closing my eyes and, and going to sleep in the sun. I'm keeping kids alive. You know what I'm talking about? It is, and then, and then even more than that, even if you don't have little kids, you may or may not have learned this lesson yet. And I don't mean to be a downer, but vacation is not an effective way of finding rest for your soul. Have you realized that yet? If your soul is at rest before you go on vacation, that's great. You'll have a very restful time with the soul at rest. If your soul is not at rest, vacation's not going to do anything for you. It's really kind of part of the world's way of trying to figure out how to make sense of the exhaustion of life. Work, 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 go crazy, go crazy, go crazy, overwork, maybe even get promoted because you overwork, all looking forward to this great vacation that then might be fun, might be beautiful, but when you're back, you usually need a vacation from your vacation right? You're not finding rest for your soul via that method. I'm not saying vacations are bad. I'm saying, how do we find rest for our soul? 
And I want to share just a two-week pause on our Gospel of John series. I wasn't intending to do this, but it really hit me this week as I was thinking, as I was praying. I wrote a lot of this message for a different church uh, when I was in Virginia recently and preached there um, because they were in a whole extended teaching on the Sabbath, which honestly I think might be one of the most important messages for our culture. So we're going to spend two weeks on it. I thought it was just going to be one week, but I only got through half of it in the first service. So it it magically became a two-part series. So today is part one called Rest for Your Soul. And the importance of rest uh, goes all the way back to creation. God created the world for six days and then he rested. And he gave us this model of the Sabbath, which if if you're thinking through all different kinds of preconceived notions about Sabbath right now, I would ask you just to pause your running mind for a moment uh, because I want to step into some things that I'm hopeful will 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 really be profound in your life in the midst of exhaustion. And I'm not just talking about physical exhaustion, but spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical exhaustion. And in many ways, I'm preaching to myself. I would say that this particular lesson and what we're talking about has been one of the primary lessons of the last 10 years of my life, the whole decade of my 30s, and I'm convinced I'll be learning it the rest of my life. But I hope that this shift gets deeper and deeper in me uh, so that I can really live the way that God has intended us to live. So the definition of Sabbath is to rest, to stop, or to cease from your works. And let's read the command. It was given in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. And by the way, it's the only commandment out of the Ten that has this much explanation. Like a lot of them are like, just don't murder, (laughs) don't lie, you know? No explanation. This one, there's a lot of reasoning that the Lord gives. So let's, let's read it. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. One thing that I've learned about all the commands of God is they have much to do with our heart posture. They're not only dealing with our actions, They're dealing with our internal world. So for instance, one of the Ten Commandments is do not murder. And when Jesus came on the scene, he said, hey, you've heard it said, do not murder. And that's right, don't murder. But he takes it even deeper. He says, if you hate someone in your heart, it's like you've murdered them already, right? So you could potentially not be a murderer, a murderer physically, but you could be living like a murderer in your heart if you are filled with hatred. And it's similar with the Sabbath. So, so in this context, of the, the, you have the Old Testament, which the law is given, and then we have the New Testament, the age of grace, in which we live now. And you need both to make sense of each other. And it gives us the full revelation of who God is through Christ. And so Sabbath fits into this powerfully. And let me just say that soul rest will not come to you by just taking a day off every week. Right? If, if you just practice the external command of Sabbath keeping, and I'm not saying you shouldn't practice it, uh, and we're going to get into that later and especially next week, but, but just taking a day off, you might have experienced this, much like vacation is powerless to give you soul rest. So just physically taking a day off won't give you actual rest for your soul. Are you guys tracking with me so far? 
And when we think of Sabbath, you're probably thinking uh, through, or let me say it this way, you're probably seeing through three different potential lenses. And I want to encourage you to see through the third one. The first would be that you might have been taught that the Sabbath is just irrelevant to us as New Testament Christians. And we're going to talk about that because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Scripture teaches it's so powerful, but I don't believe it means that we disregard the command. I think there is wisdom and there is reasoning for the command. So, so I don't think we should see Sabbath as an irrelevant command. That's, that's one lens. You might be seeing it through the lens of legalism. So you could have been raised where Sabbath was brought to you as a law from God that if you, if you even like pick up a certain thing the wrong way on the Sabbath, uh, you're going to hell, you know what I mean? Or you lose the blessing of God. I mean, you might have been brought up under the regime of like brutal, legalistic, off-base Christianity. And that's not the lens that I believe is the biblical lens. But there's a really healthy middle ground that points to a person, and that's Jesus. We're going to talk about it. It also points to a practice. And so I want to talk to you about having a soul at rest. And it leads to number one of the 10 lessons. We'll do the first six today. And these are just 10 lessons that God's really been teaching me. Number one, Sabbath keeping begins with a soul at rest. I kind of already explained that. Keeping the Sabbath as in a day off every week will not magically give you a soul at rest. It's interesting to note the timing of the Ten Commandments. You may have never thought about this before. And in case you don't know the story, um, there were the people of Israel that were held captive as slaves to the Egyptian, Egyptians for 400 years. So, you know, us, we in America, we don't have a strong concept of a nation that's that old. They, they were slaves for 400 years. And then God set them free. That's when we have Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, you know, the 10 plagues, the people of Israel are freed. God does all these miracles. Um, They end up then getting the 10 commandments. So notice this though, the 10 commandments were not given as a means of their deliverance and salvation. They were already delivered. They were already rescued from slavery. It was given as a result of their salvation. And the order is really important because that comes to full fruition in Christ. So so in this sense, we need to understand, number two, the Sabbath points to Jesus in whom we rest from all our works. We have to tell ourselves over and over again to get the order right. We are not saved because we keep the Sabbath or because we don't murder or because we don't lie. We're not saved because we attend church, because we give, because we serve on a team at church. We are not saved uh, because any other reason except for we have faith in Jesus and what he has offered us by grace. So it's by, uh, by grace through faith that we are saved so that no one can boast. And the Sabbath reminds us of this because in Jesus, we rest from all our works. It doesn't just mean a day off of work. It means we rest from any kind of striving we've done for anything in our life. We rest from all search for significance. We rest from every attempt to save ourselves. We surrender. We'll talk about it again at the end, but you know, when we raise our hands in church, we're worshiping, we're praising, but it's also this sense of surrender. Like if you get pulled over by the police and they're like, stick them up, put them up in the air, surrender, right? And that's not to say that God is just functioning like a police officer, but when God sheds light on something that we need conviction of, we raise up our hands and we, we surrender. That it, it is by faith alone in this surrender that we are saved. And Sabbath reminds us of what Jesus has done. 
So there's no reason you're saved this morning if you're a follower of Jesus, except for the fact you put your faith in him and say, yes, I wanna know you. I wanna be yours, God. It's a beautiful mystery. It's called being born of the spirit. I'm not your judge for this. You're not my judge for this. This is before the Lord, but, but in Christ, we rest from all our works. I can trace all the way back to second grade, the beginning of me striving internally to find my place in the world. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Yeah, hello? I can then trace how it grew as I was in middle school, how it shifted in college, how it shifted in young adult years, all the things in me that are searching and striving and trying and attempting. In Jesus, we rest from all our works and just accept his invitation, which we see the greatest invitation of all time in the middle of our exhausted world and our exhausted lives, which by the way, a lot of times when you see demons cast out in the New Testament, if you read through the, the, the gospels, it says that they, they, they then run around looking for some place to rest. There's this sense with, with evil and with darkness, there's a restlessness to it. There's a sense that, that, that goodness and God and grace, there's peace and rest, darkness and evil, and even hypocrisy. One of the reasons hypocrisy is so brutal towards us is, is it, it exhausts us because we're, we're trying to be this here and this here and this here. There is no rest. But in Christ, when we repent and we come to him, we rest from all our works and just say, yes, this is your work, Lord. Tracking with me? Rest is in the Lord. Exhaustion is in the world away from the Lord. But right in the middle of all this, the darkness of our world, the exhaustion. You know, I just feel like I should talk about this a bit longer. You know, we have young people making decisions right now in our culture because they're fed certain things because they're looking for peace. They're looking for answers. They're looking for ways to get attention and affirmation. And, and we are not called to just condemn and point our finger at people making horrible decisions when they're looking for this. We're meant to give them this invitation right here, Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Jesus. We sometimes, as Christians in America and in, in the culture of the West, this almost sounds unbiblical to say that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, yet that's what Jesus says right here in the invitation. And if you don't know what a yoke is, I'm gonna to read to you about the context. It's, before you put the definition up, go back to the scripture for a second. The word yoke has, has like a lot of words, in our culture has been hijacked to mean like yoked. I don't know why you guys are laughing right now. Yoked. You shouldn't be laughing at your pastor. I'm, I've been trying. Yoked means to like get buff, you know, to build up those muscles. If you really, if, if you're, if you're 40 and up, go up to a 14-year-old and say, hey, am I looking yoked? They'll think you're so cool. Yoke in biblical times has a completely different meaning, like many words we read in scripture. Here's the definition. A yoke is a wooden beam used between a pair of oxen or other animals to enable them to pull together on a load when working in pairs, as oxen usually do. Yokes are often fitted to individual animals. So, so this is an agricultural 
um, time that Jesus was teaching, and that was the primary work of most of the people. And to have oxen that could be trained in how to work the land, you would have an experienced oxen that, that was larger, wiser, and knew what to do. And then you'd have a new oxen that didn't know what to do. And, and there would be a piece of wood connecting the two of them so that the little oxen and the unwise oxen would go at the pace of the wise one, would understand how to approach life and work. That's Jesus. Jesus is the wise one with experience. He knows how to live. He knows the pace that you were designed to live in. I, our world has completely hijacked that. And, and you know, chances are if, if I overworked as a pastor and I'm accountable to our board, our overseers, we have team and staff here. If I overworked and just was really killing myself but hiding it really well and just demonstrating how busy I am, uh, the, the board might do nothing but pat my back because our culture celebrates overwork. We, we reward it. So it's really hard to buck against the trend. And don't hear me wrong, this has nothing to do with not working. This has nothing to do with doing a poor job, quite the contrary. And we'll get into that really next week about some of the counterintuitive realities of Sabbath. But, but to, to tie ourselves to Jesus, to, to yoke ourselves to him, is to say, I'm going your way. And now here's the, here's the hard truth, and I'm preaching to myself. If your burden isn't light, you're either carrying something Jesus had not, has not asked you to carry or you're carrying something he has asked you to carry the wrong way. A, a shorter and simpler way to say it is if your burden isn't light, you might not be yoked to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not trying to put, put fear in you, but, but you might not be living in his way. You know, we confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. So he saves us. Yes, great. Thank you for this great forgiveness and salvation. Lord means show me how to live. Lord means I submit to your way. Lord means if you say this is what it means to live a Sabbath life, if this is the way you've called me to live with a burden that is light, I'm not giving in to any other pressure that someone else wants me to do it. And I just want to put a little thought in your mind to perhaps seek God about this area in your life. And, and I'm going to share a little bit more today. It leads into the third principle that Sabbath reminds us that God is God and we are not. Man, that is really good news. I like the Stephen Curtis Chapman lyric from the song Cinderella. You might recognize it. She spins and she sways to whatever song plays without a care in the world. And I'm sitting here wearing the weight of the world on my shoulders. Can any of you parents relate to that? It's been a long day, and there's still work to do. She's pulling at me, saying, Dad, I need you. There's a ball at the castle, and I've been invited, and I need to practice my dancing. Oh, please, Daddy, please. We've all been there, even if we're not parents. I think a great indicator that we are not properly yoked to Jesus or that we are not at rest in our souls is when we lose playfulness. And we don't hear this a lot in church, but... Sabbath is a return to childlike faith. That's number four. Jesus actually said that unless you change and become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Part of childhood is playfulness, wonder, joy, willingness to play, make believe with your kids. I have been guilty of my kids wanting to do things with me, and I have convinced myself that I'm actually carrying the world and don't have time to sit and play with them for four minutes. <laughs> It's a tragedy, and, and this little season with the young kids goes by, 
so, so quickly. Sabbath is a return. It's repentance to childlike faith. You know, when we were on this trip a couple weeks ago, our vacation, we started in West Virginia. Well, we, we went through West Virginia to get to Pennsylvania. And I think it was the first night out on the road. We'd been driving for seven hours. It was getting dark. We had to stop to get some food. We pulled over in a little tiny town. I don't remember what it's called. There was like one restaurant there. Jessica wanted to try it. And I was like, this does not look promising. You know how like a one restaurant stop goes. And we pulled over and right away we heard the leak from our tire. Air was pouring out. And I don't know if you know this, but we are blessed with this new Toyota Sienna. I didn't realize it till this trip. They don't make them with spare tires anymore. Did anybody realize that? There's no spare tire, no patch kit, we're in the middle of nowhere. It's almost dark. It's not flat yet. I'm trying to think what to do. Um, I, uh, we found out that there was about five minutes down like an old country road, a little auto shop. And so I, I found a little pump. I got it from nine PSI up to 27. I kept on plugging it in between. You know, it was kind of like a slice. And uh, we tried to book it down the road real quick. In one minute, the tire was completely flat. And at this point, we're now away from all civilization, miles away from anything, no light. It's getting dark. Thankfully, I pulled over on the side of the road, and I'm genuinely thinking, what in the world are we going to do? We have USAA, USAA, because my dad was in the military, called them. And they do great roadside service like AAA, and they said, we're hours away. Uh, we'll get there, but we're hours away. And I had no way to get my family moved somewhere because they can't go in the tow truck. And I said, do you have a service to get my family? I was pulling every like sympathy card I could. I have four children. My youngest is four. I mean, we've been driving for seven hours. They're starving. We didn't get to eat. I need a ride to the hotel. We're in the pitch black woods. I can't walk them down the street for two or three miles because we found a hotel down the road. But how are we going to get there? There's no sidewalks. We only saw one person the entire time we were pulled over. And crazy enough, out in the middle of West Virginia country, there was a homeless guy strolling on by. And I was like, oh man, I, I, I got out of the car. I stood on the side. He was like eyeing us down the whole way. They went in the van, locked everything. And I don't have a weapon. I'm thinking I'm going to have to use like anointed karate on this guy that I learned from the Ninja Turtles. I watched Ninja Turtles a lot growing up. I could give my like best roundhouse kick. I mean, I'm like, Lord, help me here. I don't know what this guy's going to do. He might have a weapon. It was crazy. And I'm, I'm genuinely getting worried. And I, I got worried enough. So let me, I want to make sure I explain everything. There was no spare. There was no USA. Of course, there's no Lyft or Uber. I tried both my Lyft and Uber apps. They're like, you know, we're far away from all civilization. So finally, I called the police. And I'm like, I have no other option here. I need you guys to come help me get my family to the hotel. We're, we're, we, one of them could get killed trying to walk down this pitch black road. There's a homeless person out here that we might run into in the pitch black. And they said no. They said, we, we absolutely can't do it. And I'm like, okay, thanks. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Finally, I found a tow company uh, and a guy that I shared like our sob story with. And he said, you know what? I'm gonna have my wife come out and meet you there with our minivan and she'll take you guys to the hotel. You can come with me uh, to get the, the tow truck pulled. So it had a happy ending. Here's the whole reason for that story. In the middle of it, before we knew what we were gonna do, we took all our stuff out on the side of the road right before it got totally dark. And I have a picture of it right here, actually. That's us. So thankfully, there was this little rock quarry right next to us where I was able to pull off just a tiny little bit. I brightened this picture a lot. It's about to be pitch black in like 10 minutes. And we were going to, you know, go through our luggage to make a small bag so we could like hike to the hotel. You know, I'm just like, we got to figure this out. And um, I posted it 
on social media and one of my friends on Instagram noticed the faces of my wife, who's on the far left there, Jessica, and our oldest daughter, our 14-year-old there, Novi, uh, versus the other three kids on the right. And it's nothing negative about my wife and daughter. You know, my wife's probably thinking, why are you taking a picture? I'm sure that's what she's thinking. Probably Novi's thinking that too. But what he said on my social media was, the older we get, the more concerned we look when facing trials. Your youngest three look happy and free. Look at Nessa. Here's Nessa. This is our, she just, she's about to be eight. She's doing a dance move. And Kenzie is about to be 11. And Clay's doing the splits. I mean, they are not aware of the situation. These two are older and are, have panic on their face. And I have panic on my face. And, and I think Sabbath reminds us that we need to be like the youngest three, even when we have flat tires. I mean, look at Nessa. She really took this thing to like a very playful level. If you go to the next picture. There you go. She's pointing at the problem and making a face. The reason she can make that face in that situation is because she completely trusts her mom and dad. She has no reason in the world to be panicked because there's never been a time we have not showed ourselves faithful in her life. She's not worried she's gonna get left on the side of the road. She's not afraid of a homeless guy walking by. She has no thought that she might not have somewhere to sleep. She's not thinking about the rest of the trip. She's not thinking about what we're gonna eat. She is literally playing on the side of the road because she is completely free in her trust of me and Jessica. And it leads to the fifth principle. Sabbath rest comes from deep trust. Deep trust. And there's a second principle here you might wanna write down that's not in your notes. There is no rest without trust. When I first preached some of these ideas on Sabbath, I was at a church in Virginia Beach. And at the same time, Heather was here preaching at Graceland Church and James was leading and our teams were serving with kids ministry. And I had zero worry. I had zero anxiousness about Graceland Church because I completely trust our team. If I didn't trust them, I'd be worrying, I'd be checking, I'd be texting everyone, I'd be like, what's happening? I trust them. My wife and I have been married 16 years. If I didn't trust my wife, I would have to spy on her 24-7. And I would be exhausted. There'd be no rest. You tracking with me on this? And it's like that with God. We can't rest. We can't experience soul rest without a recovery of total trust for God. And I think, and we're gonna close here, we only struggle with trusting God when we forget that everything we have is from God, which leads to number six, Sabbath is a return to the posture of receiving. The posture of receiving. It, it takes repentance, it's a return, it's the changing of how we think. Life itself is from God. Your body is from God, your mind, your breath, your heartbeat your ability to create, your ability to earn. It's all from the Lord. Somehow we start with receiving and then we start thinking we're gonna somehow be self-made. We wouldn't worry so much if we realized that all we have comes from him. And I love this quote from Andrew Murray. Man's glory and blessedness was not to be independent or dependent upon himself, but dependent on a God of such infinite riches and love. Man was to have the joy of receiving every moment out of the fullness of God. 
This was his blessedness as an unfallen creature. It is then because Christians do not know their relation to God of absolute poverty and helplessness that they have no sense of the need of absolute and unceasing dependence or the unspeakable blessedness of continual waiting on God. But when once a believer begins to see it and consent to it, that he by the Holy Spirit must each moment receive what God each moment works, waiting on God becomes his brightest hope and joy. As he apprehends how God, as God, as infinite love, delights to impart his own nature to his child as fully as he can, how God is not weary of each moment keeping charge of his life and strength, he wonders that he ever thought otherwise of God than as a God to be waited on all the day. And I love this last line, God unceasingly giving and working, his child unceasingly waiting and receiving. This is the blessed life. Doesn't that sound amazing? I said this last week, but it can be really hard to understand this because the idea of dependence has been worked out of us since we were little. No one brags about their kid. They're just so dependent. Isn't that amazing? We brag that they're independent and that's fine in some ways, you know, decisions and how we live, but we never graduate from absolute dependence on God. We're never meant to. We're never meant to now all of a sudden act like we are God. Yet that's what we kind of do. He's still Lord. He's still King. We still rely on him for everything we have. And the more we realize it, the more we can trust and find rest for our soul. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to spend a few moments in prayer um, and then we'll be dismissed. But if you could just close your eyes with me, bow your hearts with me before the Lord. Lord, we thank you that your ways are different than ours. I'm so glad that, that you show us how to live. You have a way that works. You actually have a plan that makes sense. You have commands that are for our good. I'm so glad that your ways are higher. Your thoughts are higher. And Lord, I'm also so glad that you made us, you made me in your very image. You made provision that our bodies would come into being, that our consciousness, our soul, our spirit, our heart, you created us in your very image. And then you also made provision for our salvation when we fail, when, when we sin, when we run away from you, which we all do. You've made provision for us to return home. And listen, church, you might be here and you don't know if you're a follower of Jesus. You don't know if you're a Christian. Then you can just say, Lord, today I wanna know you. You could, you could be watching online. You could be here in the room. You could be watching a year from now. You can just pray right now. I want to know you, God. Jesus, thank you for giving me the invitation to find rest for my soul. I am tired of living my own way. I'm tired of running a race that's leaving me exhausted, spinning my wheels, not finding solutions hurting other people, hurting myself. And Lord, I just humble myself and I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I say, I want to follow you, Jesus. When you call my name, I say, yes. I commit my life to you. Forgive me for where I have fallen short, God. Lead me in the way everlasting. 
I don't understand everything that my future in this life with you is going to mean, but I say, yes, help me, Lord. Like the song says, I need you, God. And if you prayed that prayer, please let me know. We want to walk with you. We want to equip you. We want to help disciple you in the ways of Jesus. And then there's, there's probably a lot of us here that just need to repent of not living a Sabbath life. And again, I'm going to talk a lot more about the practical parts of this next week, but it's, it's much more than taking a day off. It's a soul at rest. So God, forgive us for our, our striving, our spinning, for looking to so many other solutions, but you teach us the beauty of a soul at rest. And if we already have a soul at rest, I praise God for that. Let it go deeper, Lord. If that's you, just say, God, I want it to go deeper. Let's just make altars at our seats. You can come to the altar up front if you'd like. But let's just sing this song, Gratitude. Let's just let, let it wash over us. Let his promises wash over us. Remember who he is. Come back to the posture of receiving. You might need to have that childlike faith like Nessa and just even point at the problems in your life right now. And while you're pointing, smile because you know God, your father, is faithful and you can trust him. One more time before we close, and I don't usually do this, but let's just stop all the instruments for just a minute so it's totally silent. And with our eyes closed, I just want you to hear each other sing this chorus one more time. James, let's not even sing in our mics. And Michelle, let's just, let's just hear each other sing and understand the person next to you and the people around you are in the same battles, the same fights, the same wrestle with exhaustion, have the same temptation to not rest from our works. And, and all of us together in this moment, we're saying, yes, Lord, we want your will. We want your way. We want your timing. We want to understand and know you more. And in this, in this posture, we sing and we are, we are also strength for one another as the body of Christ. So before I pray this benediction, uh, let's just sing it again. Uh, if James, you could lead us. over us. From the inside out, we pray in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you and give you peace. And it's in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Love you guys very much. Have a great rest of your day.